0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford, and I am coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And it is a great blessing to be in a warm studio today, rather than out in the frigid temperatures which are currently besieging our lovely city of Dallas. And I want to especially greet the members of my congregation here in Dallas and I pray that God is keeping you warm and safe safe and healthy and that you are enjoying his presence you know there's so many things that are happening in our world today and it is such a uh, such a very different time than any that I can recall uh, I know that there have been epics of time that have been very challenging for the world. Uh, I'm not saying that this is the worst of all, but uh, I do believe that it's uh, unprecedented in our lifetime, and I do believe that in the timing of God, things are uh, these are really gearing up for what he has prophesied concerning the times of the end. I do want to, before we get into the scriptures today that are found in uh, Amos chapter 5, you may want to be accessing that book. It's it's a contemporary of the prophet Joel. It's right after the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. But I, I did want to commend everyone for your prayers this past week weekend on our first Saturday prayer time. I have reviewed, as I so often do, the words that were submitted from around the world from various individuals and groups as they have prayed. And it is a, a wonderful thing to consider how God is speaking to his people and the fact that it is uh, a unified and joint pursuit from the throne of God among his people, whether I'm just scanning here all over the United States. Here's words uh, from Switzerland, from Luxembourg, from Benin in Africa, from Belgium, from France, all over France, Um uh, I'm just scanning down through. Uh, These are just the words that are still coming in. But God is using his people and his intercessors. And the only reason I'm saying this in this way is to remind you of the importance of prayer and to remind you that God is doing a worldwide effort among his intercessors and his saints. So let's be faithful And let's look into the heart of God, knowing that he, in his infinite wisdom and love, uses the prayers of the saints, and he enjoys that partnership. So, if you, by some chance, consider that your prayers aren't doing any good, or You think, uh, I feel all alone, or whatever tactic the enemy may be using against you. Or really, whatever tactic your human mind might be trying to use against you. That the ultimate thing is that we're ministering to God as individuals. And we need to honor that because it is a reality. And... Many uh, have discounted the the privilege of prayer. They they always um, think that there's something beyond prayer that is more important to God, and they'll pluck a few scriptures out here and there. Of everything Jesus did, of everything that he ministered, the one thing that was constant was that he prayed. He did this every day. I was working on a memory verse with one of my granddaughters yesterday. And it talked about how Jesus dismissed the crowd and he sent his disciples away on a boat. And after he'd done that, he'd gone up into a mountain to pray alone. He did this regularly. And this was his daily regimen. And without that, you don't have any other scripture. Without that, you don't have any other action. If you aren't spending time with God and seeking Him, you're missing the essence of who you're really called to be. And I just simply encourage you to hold fast to that duty and that privilege of praying, and so at some point in the very near future—not today, but very soon—the uh, completed file of what God was sharing with saints around the world will be posted up on our website, and I do encourage you to take advantage of that. It's—it's it's a very uplifting thing to read and to cherish words that are coming from those that you know very well or from people that are of kindred spirit and calling who you may not have met yet. And this is, this is a true blessing, not only to participate, but to be able to appreciate the words that uh, are coming in from our family of saints around the world. Now, admittedly, what we're going to talk about today is somewhat of an odd topic. And it really begs for a much deeper study than what we're going to offer today. And, but that does not dismiss the validity of what I'm going to be sharing from the Word. You can do an enhanced study of this if you want. It's a very simple thing to do. But for me, this is more of a uh, of an establishing of a biblical principle and how it applies to us in a measure of exhortation and encouragement. So that's my goal today. It's... It's not to belabor you with 30 passages of Scripture. You can study that for your own self. The topic is the day of the Lord. This is very, very much a part of both Old Testament and New Testament writings. In fact, the mindset within the Old Testament Jewish believers and then coming into what the New Testament says it shows a continuity and I think that growing up in the church and I think this is probably the mindset of many in the church when you talk about the day of the Lord you think oh that's that's the rapture slash tribulation. And that's the day of the Lord. And I I would tend to agree that those things are part of what an end time day of the Lord is going to look like. But in reality, in a more expansive lens concerning this topic, the day of the Lord is a functionality of Yahweh. It is the way God regularly culminates a visitation, a, an end of an epic, a fulfillment of the way He does things. And when you look in the Old Testament, you see a number of references to the day of the Lord and some of them already happened and by saying that that does not dismiss that we are entering into the ultimate well I won't say the ultimate the a cataclysmic day of the Lord <clears throat> but it the term itself has to focus on who the Lord is, and that's Yahweh, the Lord is in that capacity of the identity of God, the one who brings about the fulfillment of God's plan. And it's, uh, it's, it's an amazing thing to partner with God to the fulfillment of His plan. But that's what Yahweh, how Yahweh uh, manifests in, in us. And I say this again, when you talk about Elohim and you talk about Yahweh and you talk about El Shaddai and you talk about the other facets of the descriptive names of God, you're not listing a house of God's. You're not listing a bunch of little gods running around. They are all one. And I don't know why that's so hard for people to understand. I I don't understand that. I look at my life. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a pastor. I do an apostolic work. I'm a teacher. uh, I'm a son. And I'm also a grandson. Uh, Every one of those titles demonstrates a different dimension of who I am, but I'm all one. I'm not schizophrenic, and neither is God. So when we talk about the day of the Lord, it's when God girds himself up to come and uh, administer the, the completion or the summing up of something that He has intended to do, that He's prophesied, that He's labored toward, that His people have interceded about. And then the Day of the Lord, to some degree, uh, initiates uh, a fulfillment of that, but it really is, in a larger sense, a culmination of a process. And so, for instance, You look at Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. It says, Woe unto you that desire the day of Yahweh! To what end is it for you? The day of Yahweh is darkness and not light, as if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark, and no brightness in it? As I said, Amos and Joel are contemporaries. And in some ways, there's a great similarity in what they write because they were tapping into the flow of what God was doing at that time frame. Now, we know Joel the prophet joel more more readily because of the fact that peter quotes him on the day of pentecost and joel did speak about the fivefold visitation of the gift of the father but joel speaks about the day let's see which verse we want to look at how about joel chapter 1 verse 15 alas for the day For the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. Sound an alarm from my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord comes, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and of gloominess. A day of clouds and of thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong. There have not ever been any like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. So you have this description of the day of the Lord, and it says that it's darkness. It says that it's, to some degree, gloominess. It says that it's perhaps not what people have prepared for, Or in in all of their preparations, they miss the main thing. And I I love what Malachi says in chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. We've talked about that, and we'll revisit that in our prophetic seminar coming up uh, in March. But here is a promise that we have received from God about the Elishas and the manifestation of what Elijah's role is to be as a uh, a bedrock prophet, as a a mentoring prophet, as a patterning prophet, and um, but that comes before this coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. You know, a day or home in in the Old Testament. Uh, we have to remember that for the Jewish people, the concept of the day began at sunset and it went all the way around to the next sunset, which is why when Jesus was crucified, those 'er ne'er-do-wells were insistent upon him being in the ground before sunset because... You know, they wanted to honor the day. And of course, Joseph of Arimathea and the others, they they got that accomplished. But when you talk about the day of the Lord, you recognize that it begins with the end of another day and it, it enters into darkness. It enters into a time where the Bible says that weeping may endure and challenges may come and so when you see that the day of the Lord is darkness to me yes that's a characteristic term but it also shows the pattern of how you partner with the plan of God and it really is similar to the, the the seasons where the winter is the beginning time, the hand is the beginning, the, the empty hand is the beginning, and it doesn't look like anything. And so when God is about to, there's two factors, two two perspectives of the day of partnering with Yahweh. One is that, initial inception where nobody else seems to be watching. it's not the popular thing that everybody's flocking to, but you're partnering with God and it, it seems that it's really minimal. Yeah you wonder, am I missing it? Here I've partnered with God and I'm in darkness here. I don't I don't get it. Um, but then also, when the culmination of that plan comes, it often is met with darkness. It often is met with enemy encroachment, as we talked about uh, on Sunday and and uh, yesterday on Saints Radio. That you know you you see before God does a thing, that the enemy will try to come in and when he flees in seven ways we often focus on his fleeing but we don't really look at the reason he is fleeing that God's ways are manifesting themselves the fullness of the seven spirits that light that full light but before that manifests there will be undoubtedly an enemy who's trying to block, trying to discourage, trying to bring gloominess and despair. And um, I, I think we need to be aware of that, not to be discouraged by it, but to be knowledgeable. The day of the Lord is this. It begins that way. And before the breakthrough begins to come, it's often the darkest part of the day, just like when the Apostle Paul and Silas were in the prison in the deepest part of the jail. And at midnight, they were singing their praises to God. And it was at that point that the earthquake came, at the darkest point. And so, you know, we we are seeing, we started talking a few years ago about this prophecy about the Elishas coming and we needed to focus on being the Elijah voice that we should be and my goodness once we started doing that we got all kinds of attacks and I won't regale you of them if anybody's paying attention you saw the way the enemy came against our core unit as saints we survived And we have triumphed, but then you see uh, the things that have been happening societally. You see the pandemic, you see uh, various uh, international clashes, and you think, oh, God's lost control. Well, the day of the Lord is darkness, darkness. And its gloominess, it begins that way and it looks that way throughout before the ultimate measure of the plan of God comes. And then, you know, uh, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. When the Lord brought about the deliverance of the captivity of Zion, we were of those who dreamed. We were as those who dreamed you know it it seems as if the day of the lord would be in man's mind something that builds up in momentum but god is always testing the cord of our relationship with him and he he it, it's that principle that we talked about on sunday about god hiding us when we are functioning as the vanguard of his tabernacle why would god need to do that why would god do that because when you go out as wisdom and light you know the enemy will resist and you know the 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 hiding of the lord is something different it's not subterfuge it's protection and it's, it's us standing in the gap. We've done all to stand. We stand and we enjoy the fellowship with the Lord. A lot of people can't do that. They get troubled by the storm and the sea around them. And they think, Lord, you're, you're sleeping on the job. Don't you care that we're perishing? Seems I read that somewhere. But God is there. And he, he, he does this kind of thing. Now, this is mentioned by Jesus in Matthew particularly. And it talks about, for him, the time of the end. But I, but I want you to consider with me what Peter said When on the day of Pentecost, he was talking about, he was ministering the this is that sermon. And I want to to look at this in a different angle with you. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem... Be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. This, These are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And there he lists the fivefold offices and the manifestation of them. And he talks about the pouring out of the Spirit. And then in verse 19, It's like Peter skips to another topic entirely, but he really was not doing that. He immediately goes, After I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Before that... Great and notable day of the Lord come. Now, let's think about this. If we were to suppose that Peter on this day of Pentecost, where tongues of fire were still flickering on the heads of the people, and there was still an undercurrent of lots of people praying in the various languages of the world, and of the heavens and of the angels that was that was what was going on and peter is in this is that this is what joel spoke about the spirit being poured out and really the fivefold giftings that god would send into the earth so he's describing what was happening right then Right? So he immediately then goes into the dis- discussion of the day of the Lord. Why? Because in this regard, the greatest miracle of uh, demonstration of the day of the Lord had just happened when Jesus came and died and rose again and was seen by many as a resurrected Christ and then ascended into heaven and then the church was birthed. And for Peter, look at this. Tell me which one of these didn't just happen. Wonders in heaven above Signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor of smoke, sun turned to darkness, moon into blood, before the great and notable day of the Lord. And now it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is a fruit of the day of the Lord, whenever it occurs. So, for Peter, he had just seen the sun turned to darkness. He had just seen um, the earth quaking. He had seen signs in the earth. He had just seen wonders in the heaven above and they were manifesting even as Peter was speaking. So, peter is describing not only is whatever's happening on pentecost in the in the promise of the father the fivefold offerings but it is a a culmination of the ultimate day of the lord do you see that because again the day of the lord was a well-known thing. Now, there was also the day of Christ, uh, and that speaks about how Jesus in the New Testament, how Jesus is coming again, and, you know, the different warfare, and the catching away of the church, and, you know, that's there. But the principle of the day of the Lord was one that was spoken of throughout the Old Testament, and it was an operative principle of prophets throughout the epochs of God's dealings with man on earth. And again, there were times where the day of the Lord was spoken of by a prophet and then a cataclysmic sequence of events happened in historical time. And we know that happened. And and so, for them, it 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 spoke of what was um, what was a reality of the way God, in his plan, visited his people. So then when you come to Joel, who's speaking a lot of things about a forthtelling prophetically. Which is obviously what Peter referenced. But then he also talks about the day of the Lord and he describes events that had just occurred in, to me, the ultimate day of the Lord when God's plan for man was restored. And not only restored, it was brought into a perfect dimension greater than what Adam could have enjoyed, greater than Noah, greater than David. Here, the Son of God came, and we are redeemed <clears throat> to the Father to be joint heirs with the Messiah. Peter describes that, and that is, that is a wonderful, marvelous thing uh, and and then Peter keeps going we're not we're not focusing on Peter's sermon here but he does he's talking about things that happen he, in verse 25 he speaks about David's prophecy about the Lord being on the right hand and um it's it's an incredible thing so sometimes we read this acts 2 or we consider what Peter said, and as soon as we see the day of the Lord, we think, oh, that's speaking about the end time. Well, it is, but it's also speaking about what had just happened because everything Peter is talking about here was tying in what had just happened. And um, that's what the Spirit was saying, it was it was the this is that, not this will be. But yes, there is a day of the Lord coming. Now I believe we're in it to some degree. I don't know how far along we are, but we're in it for the for the time of the end. You know, like for instance, Elijah, you know, those Folks that were always trying to trick Jesus or asking questions that were just goofy. Well, there are no goofy questions. Yes, there are. I mean, you just say that to make people who ask goofy questions feel better. You know, sometimes people ask questions and they're just not applying their mind. They want somebody else to do the homework for them. And to me, that's kind of goofy. But be that as it may. Um, there were some who said to Jesus, uh, will not Elijah come? And Jesus said, Elijah has already come. And he was referring to John the Baptist. Now, what, what did that mean? Uh, and, and with the Day of the Lord reference in Malachi that this individual was bringing forth to Jesus... Perhaps Elijah, and what our role is in that vein, is essential to the welcoming of whatever day of the Lord God is bringing about. And, you know, John the Baptist had disciples. John the Baptist spoke... um, about people turning to God and returning from their wicked ways. I mentioned this yesterday, and again, you'll hear about it some in the seminar that's coming up. But there are some in the progressive movement who say that uh, John's message to repent, metanoia, just simply meant to have a change change of opinion. And they then equate John as meaning, you know, don't be so restricted, so dualistic. And just open yourself to everything. That is not what John was saying. What John was saying was, all you people who came out here in the wilderness to hear me, I see you Sadducees, I see you Pharisees, I see you agnostics, I see you curious Greeks, I see all of you people, and you're all over the map. John didn't say, well, I see you. God is in you. Let's just say yes to whatever you believe. That's not what John was saying, and anybody who would even infer that is has drunk the Kool-Aid so much that you're opening up a franchise to distribute it. John was saying, you need to do a 180 and you need to get rid of all this other nonsense that's kept you from what God's chief end is for you. So that is a function of Elijah and boy haven't we been thrust into it saints. We've got to stand for what God has said and we've got to hold on to that and not play goofy games And in the midst of that, watch as those that would come alongside as Elishas will join. The hearts of the fathers to the children the hearts of the children to the father. But on the other end, you've got false Elijahs and false Elishas in this day of the Lord. You have people who are saying, oh, yeah, you can't really believe Uh, you've, you've been sold a bill of goods, you Elijahs. Here's what really the foundation is, and you've got to be strong pillars to represent this so everybody else can be free. And all of you people that want to come, let us teach you how to open yourselves into the spirit realm because you don't need to be afraid. God is everywhere. Let's just do away with all the scriptures we don't like and call them suspect. Let's throw away the the warnings that you have to guard against the enemy and you have to try the spirits and you don't believe every spirit. And let's just say that since God is everywhere, all truth is God's and let's open up. So all you little trigger points, you all come. Do you see that happening? Of course you do. And do you see the opposition from that camp that says anybody who stands for the things that Elijah represents and the one way, well, you're you're under attack. We're going to restrict your voice. You are narrow-minded. You are, and then you throw out all the things. Never understood how uh, you could accuse African Americans, or Africans for that matter, of being white supremacists. Maybe there's the Uncle Tom clause. I don't know. But you see that battle in this day of the Lord, and it does seem dark, and it does seem gloomy, and it does, we, we, we do see signs, There's a lot of earthquakes, a lot of um, cataclysmic things happening, and it's not due to global warming, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's due to what God has prophesied the way he's created this earth, so what do we do with this? Why does God bring this rather strange topic for us to consider on this cold day in Dallas? Well, to me, it's so that we can gain a measure of perspective. And it's for us to take heart because what God has promised is true. He's going to do it. And we must not be deceived in our thinking that when the day of the Lord is darkness and it's gloominess and it's destruction and you can't seem to safeguard in the way you want to, you know, you, you went and got all your lion repellent and then you run smack dab in a bear. I mean, to me, that, that just shows that you have to trust God. You can't, you can't rely on your own strength. You have to stay focused in partnership with God and not, not allow yourself to be hoodwinked by what things appear in the natural. Remember that whenever Yahweh, it, God, His plan is going to reveal a a new factoring of what His eternal will is. The process is going to look like this. And then again, Peter described it as having just happened. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense what Peter said. Here you have active things. God has done this. Jesus is at the right hand. Da, 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 da. And now let's just uh, go way off script and talk about the day of the Lord, the end times. It's coming. Maybe this was maybe this was really the opening to the end times. I don't know. But for for my thinking, Peter was describing a culmination, a victorious culmination of what um, Jesus had just done and he characterized it as a dimension of a day of the Lord because otherwise that doesn't fit in his sermon and again it was this is that not this is that and what will be (laughs) So where where is your faith right now? Keep holding on. Remember that nothing has happened that's discredited the Scripture. Nothing is happening right now that is not prolifically foretold in Scripture. And the, the measure of the day of the Lord is a principle of Yahweh that manifested itself throughout the Old Testament and manifested itself on the day when the church was born and is in so many ways manifesting itself again right now. And I I close by saying this principle is not just relegated to worldwide epics i would suspect that dimensions of that have happened in every time that you have committed yourself to partner with god in some amazing measure of his plan as an intercessor i i remember many times where god was transitioning us or about to debut a new dimension of our walk with him. And right before that, oh my gosh, it seemed horrible. It's the, it's the miracle principle. And we've coined this, and it's true. In the Bible, before miracles happen, it looks like the people are just done for. And you might as well just roll over and de- be dead. And that's the groundwork of a miracle. And you know what I'm going to say. So many people want a miracle. They just don't want to be in a position to need one personally. And so many times we ask for miracles. And really, um, we, our, our interpretation of what we're really asking for is skewed. What we really should be asking for is for God to complete what it is that he's working in us at that particular time and we need to rely on his promise. That's, that's the miracle. We walk in miracles, which is why an evangelist sets the stage for the debut of the apostolic and that evangelist works in working of miracles bringing things to function or dunamis and grace remedies the, the, the gifts of healings charis iomai grace remedies where you are setting the last charges before the the breaking of the waters for the new dam that's been built and you know you're you're doing necessary things to welcome the advent of that miracle but why would the evangelist need to be there why would he need to demonstrate grace remedies if something wasn't standing in the way of grace why do you need a remedy why why would you need dunamis function if everything was functioning you see Even the evangelist gifting is a a, a necessary component addressing things that seem dysfunctional in anticipation of the outpouring of the apostolic work. So, this is a Wednesday night Bible study. This isn't an altar service. This isn't a counseling session. And I encourage you over these next couple of days to just look through the Day of the Lord references in the Bible and see that they all sound similar. They all speak of the same thing, the same progressions, darkness, gloominess. Uh, But there is breakthrough. And sometimes that breakthrough in the Old Testament was an army Sometimes it was maybe not a victory in the eyes of people. Maybe it was being the people being taken into some other place so that a great reset could happen. But the day of the Lord we're living in now, but it's not a one-off. It's a divine principle in partnering with Yahweh. Well, thank you for joining today, and I pray that in some way this study has been thought-provoking for you. And I ask that God would bless you and strengthen you, and that you would be that triumphant intercessor and that confident confidant of God that will not give up. But we'll hold on to him until the answer comes. God bless you all, and we'll look forward to the next time we can be together. And until that time, goodbye.